0: Welcome to the Pain Podcast, presented by La Pub Scientifique. We are thrilled to bring you a platform that unites clinicians, researchers, and pain advocates in sharing a pursuit understanding pain. In this series of podcasts, we aim to bridge the gap between scientific knowledge and practical applications in the field of pain. Our episodes will feature insightful discussions with leading experts, Exploring the latest research findings, innovative treatments, and emerging trends in the realm of pain. Whether you are a healthcare professional seeking evidence-based practices, a researcher diving into the depths of the pain mechanisms, or a dedicated advocate striving to improve the lives of individuals in pain, you are welcome. Check out our website. Get confident and competent in treating pain. Start today. Good day everyone. Um, welcome to the podcast with um, me, myself is um, your host today, uh, Bart van Buchem. I'm a pain specialist physiotherapist. And today with me is Stephen Kemper from University of uh, Sydney. Uh, trained as a physiotherapist by background. You're a professor uh, in allied health applications. And we, we just had a brief talk about um, to summarize what your main, your main work at the moment is about helping therapists. To conduct research, is that right, Steve? Um, that's right. Yeah. And it's a very brief summary. Um, uh, Steve have, have done lots of work on adolescents and adults' pain, and generally neck and back pain. If I'm right, that's sort of the most publications are from. Um, up to what, 170 papers or so. So you've been you've been quite busy. Um, I'm not sure if that's a marker of success, but uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been enjoying uh, reading your work because I think it's very relevant and it makes totally sense to me that there is this linking the evidence to the practice. And there is a 2021 paper that sort of gives us a bit of a, a direction for today. Um, right, Steve, welcome and thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks, guys. thanks for having me but Cool. Um let, let's just just run straight into it. Um there is this paper linking evidence to practice. Um I do feel like our listeners would be really interested to read it. I would recommend to have a go with it. But um uh what was your intention in the first place to publish this more specific this? I think it's a very positioned paper, if it's if I'm right.
1: Mm-hmm. Is it uh the uh so so the uh, evidence in practice series um, yep. that I write. Um, so we're up to, I think, 19 of them published so far. So, so the idea here is um, to take one aspect of uh, research methods or evidence in practice and just give a very uh, um, brief explanation of, of what it means for a clinician who might be re- reading a research article. So um, I think there's a, um, there's a lot of clinicians out there who really want to be able to pick up research um, that's published out there, but sometimes feel like they don't quite understand all the methods and they don't quite know whether it's whether something they're reading, something they should believe or not believe or how much confidence they should have it, in it. So my thought is, is, is to try and break down all the things that we understand as researchers that go into designing and writing a study and bite off little sections of that and explain them in, in, in just you know, a thousand words, a page and a half or something like that one by one. Uh, so that, that's the idea behind the series that they'll become a sort of a, I guess like a, a bit of a textbook of the, the different aspects of, of research to, to help uh, make what's written by researchers a little bit more accessible for clinicians.
0: And is there, what, what are the biggest challenges you hear back from clinicians since you started this project? Um,
1: so that one of the things that I noticed as I started this uh, was oftentimes when clinicians think about what research is, they get very tied up on statistics and understanding what a p-value is and worrying about what logistic regression is and, uh, and not understanding the um, you know the different types of methods that, that might be used in the analysis. And uh, in in my view, that's not the that's not the first place to go. It's not what really people need to understand in order to use a piece of research uh, to help make them to help make clinical decisions. And so yeah, I, I guess I wanted to take I wanted to sort of strip back what research is about, because I think it's actually, most of the principles are pretty simple. I think if if we can package them up and present them the right way, then I'm hoping that's gonna make the research a little bit more accessible stop worrying about uh, p-values or, or, you know, what a definition is and all that sort of stuff. And and, and start thinking about broader things, like what what is bias, um, thinking about, you know, why, why is randomization important? What is, why does it matter? What's, what is confounding? And, and if we understand those principles, then, then the details will make sense. And, but I think research training has started with details and, and, and people try to absorb and remember these details and they don't have the context for it. And, and I think that's one of the things which is making uh, research harder to access for clinicians.
0: How do you? Because I can relate to the idea of reading a paper and feel like, oh, this could be interesting. Then you're starting to read it as part of whether would it suits my practice or uh, what do I learn or what is my takeaway from this. So, what did did research or let's say authors do they do they did a good job until now by for example, explaining the biases and um, use, uh, explaining why the the methodology is being as it is in the in the research and how it's been set up. So, so do you think, from an author's perspective, there are limitations and things that should do become better? Okay. So, so the
1: the let, let's let's be perfectly clear. My view here is the main problem is the people writing the research. Ie people like me, so it is it is researchers. It is it is a problem of the way that research is is uh, presented, yeah. Um, and it, it's and part of those. Are, I think lack of competence, and part of those are because of. The way that the system is set up, the way that researchers are incentivized and 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 the way that the business of, of research reporting happens. Fundamentally, research in scientific journals is written by researchers for other researchers. And 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 that's at the heart of the
0: issue. Yeah. Yeah. so what would be what would be an example of a like a good paper? that make that makes sense to example of a
1: good paper um
0: I'm
1: not quite sure uh how do i well, let's say on, on
0: on bias for example just take a, uh, like you you mentioned a few um commonalities like bias for example you should be aware mm. of the bias how how would the good paper what what should it describe and what should be aware? What I should be aware of uh, once I'm trying to find out what bias means in this paper.
1: Okay, the, 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 first, the first thing, uh, and it's not just a marker of quality of the paper, but it's actually a marker of whether a paper is useful or not, um, is the clarity of the question. Okay, so as a reader, you should get to the end of the introduction. And you should be able to say what the research question is in your own words to someone who is not even in your field, okay? So that clarity is, is, is absolutely, um, it's vital. If as a reader you can't do that, if, it, if, the, if the, the question isn't that clear and, and that's straightforward, then there's very little chance that you're going to be able to interpret all the rest of it, the methods, the results, the discussion, anything else, okay so so if there's one thing that would I have to, that, that I would say that a, a paper needs to have it's a really clear question yeah. um, that, so so from there the methods have to line up with the question and, and, and so that's where the the the, the bias and the, and the research methods and all that sort of stuff becomes important only becomes important once the question is clear
0: so maybe just to, maybe it's a big jump from here but what would make if, if treatment seems to be successful in a presented in a paper, mm-hmm. what would what be your first advice to, to check whether that is really the case? So it's presented positive, but mm-hmm. what is, is there, um, yeah, um, a, a, a range of questions you should consider yourself, whether is this really as good as it is presented?
1: Okay. So, uh, the, the first thing to understand when you're talking about treatment effectiveness is that is always a comparative question. Okay. So, so the, the, the question is a treatment effective is only, only makes sense when you say compared to what, okay. So, yeah. so, so that, that what might be nothing or what might be usual care might be a placebo. It could be another treatment, but that's, that's a key part of the question. So, so as a reader, you have to understand. I'm asking the question: Is treatment A effective compared to something else? So that that's the first bit. Then, if if, if the if the study is set up such that it offers, um, you know, a difference in effectiveness or an outcome from those two groups, you need to ask yourself the question of: Was it a fair comparison? Okay, so essentially, were they the same types of people in Group A and Group B? Randomization is a really good way of doing it. It's not the only way of doing it. Okay, it's a really good way. It's probably better than any other way of doing it. Okay, so they're the, they're the fundamental questions. The next thing is the when we look at the results. So that's a difference in outcomes between the, between the people in Group A and Group B. And what matters there is not. P values or statistical significance—it's how big the difference is. So that—that's what you need to know about treatment effectiveness uh, studies, and all the other methods are just about getting, uh, getting, getting a really nice estimate of the difference between those two groups.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's, it. and and from there on, so. Um... Especially when treating pain, we, we now we know that, that the, the results and the, the the differences between pre and post treatment are usually quite small. Um, how what is your what is your view on on that sense that when changes are small but um, maybe are um, good enough for a go on therapy.
1: All right, in 25 seconds.
0: First of all, really, really,
1: <laughs> really important distinction between changes over time within a group and changes and, and differences between groups. All right, so it's critical to, 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 to specify which of those you're talking about. Yeah. The second is about the size of a difference or the size of a change. And what matters there... Uh, depends on who you're asking and as a researcher it doesn't really matter what I think as a clinician probably doesn't matter that much what you think either but who it matters to is the person who's being offered the choice and that's typically the patient and so that's a question for them
0: yeah So, um, I like that idea that it changes. it changes over time. Maybe we can dive into that. So, what is it? What do you mean by change over time? Okay.
1: So, so, so when, uh, when we're talking about uh, comparative effectiveness research, I said we're comparing treatment A versus treatment B. Treatment B might be nothing, or it might placebo, might be usual care, whatever. Let's call them treatment A and treatment B. What we do is we give people treatment A and we measure them over time. And we give people treatment B and we measure them over time. We can talk about their change. So which that's the mean change. Let's say we're talking about pain. They start out at a mean of six and then they end at a mean of three. Okay. So they might have a mean change of three. So that's the group mean. Some people change less, some more, etc. So that's a change over time typically though when when we're talking about comparative effectiveness research what we're really interested in is the difference in the change in, in, in between groups so if group a ended up at four and group b ended up at three the between group change or the mean difference between groups is one okay so and 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 we interpret that as the difference between what would have happened if you got treatment A versus treatment B. Okay, so they're they're, they're quite different concepts. In practice, a person, we we don't observe those two different things, right? We observe that person over time. So so all you see in practice is, is the, it's not even the within group change; it's the within person change. So it's just one person's passage of of, of this, the symptom intensity over time.
0: So this is n is one. So in the clinic, uh, to
1: yeah, that's what you see. What what, yeah. what you, how would you in, you would interpret the results of that study? Is you might say, well, we give people this. If we had have given them that, um, you know, treatment B, then we would expect something slightly different
0: yeah so I think what we see happening and I think you you touched on this um you got the comparisons between like no treatment so it could be waiting yep. list um sometimes we do crossovers right so waiting and then in the end they give them the treatment uh, after all um yep. not sure if that's ideal but I uh, always found it interesting. Waiting lists seem to do quite good, right? <laughs> People mm-hmm. know they'll get treatment, so uh, that's a bit of a biased group. So, but then you've got the um, the guideline, for example, as a as a yep. let's say usual care, and then the placebo. So, is this is this a very straightforward hierarchy of um, treatment to no treatment? That's the lowest level of proof and the highest should be a placebo-controlled trial. Is that as straightforward as it no, sounds?
1: It's not as straightforward as that. They're just simply different questions. Hmm. They're simply different questions, and 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 the way to interpret them is as separate questions. We've got treatment A versus placebo. Uh, what that study outputs is the difference between if you offer someone the treatment or you offer them a placebo.
0: Okay, and and,
1: and then you, 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 as a clinician, you make a determination on, on those two things. The difficult thing with interpreting um, comparative effectiveness research where clas- placebos are the control group for a clinician is, a placebo is not a realistic option in the clinic, usually. Usually, and yeah, so, so usually, so, so so usually, you know, that doesn't that you know, that's a um, it's not a particularly pragmatic question for you as a clinician. Now, as opposed to um, what compared to getting nothing, um, that's a real question for a clinician. You can say to a patient, listen, if we don't do anything, this we think we think the difference between not doing anything and what I'm going to give you is this. All right. So that, that, that's a comparison which fits inside a, um, you know, a very practical question for a, for a clinician and patient. And that, um, but it's uh, yeah. more difficult with placebos. So, and, oh. and actually they're, they're typically designed to understand mechanisms a little bit better. Mm. Um, we can have a whole episode on placebo we'll if you like it. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> I enjoy. I enjoy the I enjoy the topic
0: very much. Sorry. Very much, yeah, yeah. We, we, I've been contacting with Felicity Breathway, and uh, <laughs> she's based in uh, Adelaide, and get some fun. Yeah, absolutely. About yep. if, like, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, also, maybe maybe touching on this the subject on on. So, I know there is a um, there will be um, a paper coming out very soon um, about. Um, a placebo-controlled trial on low back pain, uh, where they actually, and you can read the, um, um, the pre-publication or the, um, the research um, protocol, you can read it. It's um, published by Matthew Begg. Um, it's a big trial, and it will be presented very soon. We can't say anything about wh- where and what, but what they did is um, using sham let's say, brain controllers and stimulus machines, what people really loved, actually. <laughs> so I heard back as a placebo. So what makes a good placebo for if you're conducting a trial and this paper will be out very soon, how are we going? What is, what is it what you're going to look for in this paper? To sort of, and what will be your, um, if, it, if it's successful, so what, what makes it successful uh, in this not yet published paper?
1: so I, I'm familiar with the study you're talking to. I, I know yeah,
0: that yeah, <laughs> the, no, the group will no, produce that, no, produced we that both, very well. And I, <laughs> yeah, that would be um, interesting. So what, yeah, so what would be your So from a reader's perspective, so what would, should you think? Oh, this is you should look for. This is the, your methodology for reading it and interpreting it.
1: Yeah, I mean, as I said, I, I know, I know the, the the study quite well, and and um, what I do know of it is the sorts of things that you look for. You know, was there was there blinding between groups? Was it randomised? Was there good follow up? Um, you know, was there a, an, an analysis plan which was specified in advance? All these sorts of things that so it ticks all those boxes. So, all those things. What all those things tell us is um, we can be confident that the effect that it found is likely to be generalizable. So when we talk about generalizable we talk about uh, an effect from a study refers to a sample. generalizability goes out to the population okay so so it's a good estimate of, of what we could expect in the population. Um, I think from a clinical perspective, um, placebo-controlled studies are a little hard to work out what to do with, all right? So so as I understand this one, so what this one tells us is is, is really that the mechanism of the difference uh, is due to the difference between what was in the treatment group and what was in the placebo group. And so there's, there's some things which they took out, which, which were you know particular features. And so what it's saying is the effect of those very specific features is what the effect size is. So that's a question then as a, as a clinician for you, if I isolate those particular features that are the difference between groups, I can expect this effect. Arguably, that's not the way you really practice, it, right? Because you 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 have a lot of the features which are in the placebo group are going to be part of your practice as well, right? So the attention, for example, but you know the whatever whatever relationship you have with the with the patient. Um, so placebo controlled studies are a little difficult to. To um, to directly um, interpret for the purposes of your own clinical practice, um, they have a value in that they they tell us something about the specific mechanism of of a particular treatment, and so they say so they're very useful in that regard. Yeah. Um, they get complicated with the sorts of things that we do. They're much simpler with with drugs, right? I know, um, yeah. But they get very they get much more complicated with the sort of work we do
0: is the non-specific elements, probably. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> that's admin, right, yeah. Yeah, administri- administer is not, I guess, straightforward as you would think. I, I, yeah. I think that will be interesting to see that. I, I think from my point, of view, if this would turn out to be successful, whether would it be would it be a reason for to be more confident in explaining your therapy as a not, non placebo so are we actually doing something that makes a difference uh where the the added bits are actually well it's very profoundly it, it, it's proven to be like more than just expectations or all the contextual bits um that is, is that is that is that a right to say yeah uh,
1: yeah yeah i do i, I think that's very easy. Yeah. I think it's reasonable to say that, and so and so probably what it helps from a clinical perspective is, is, is maybe the explanation that you give around why you why you as a clinician expect a certain output for, or an outcome from a particular treatment that you're using. So maybe it yeah, helps your it, model.
0: Yeah, because I would expect is it a very is a very fine line between. Um, i think ian harris the orthopedic surgeon has mentioned it somewhere this is where the distinction between let's say non-evidence-based treatment to Mm -hmm. truly evidence-based so we know actually there is a it's been tested rigidly and we can Mm -hmm. say this is different and it's
1: i I think we can but 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 I, i don't think we need a placebo control to Mm -hmm. say something's been tested robustly or to tell, to to say that something's effective versus something else. It's, as I said, it's a different question. Um, And it, it, it's said that um, I have a view, a particular view of, of the placebo construct concept in that I think it's, it's not useful to us. I think, Mm -hmm. I think we'd be better off without it. And I think, we would do better research without it and we'd do better practice without it if we, uh, if we kicked it to the curb.
0: Yeah, would, would that be the, the same? Would it be your review on, on testing drugs as well? I, 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 I'm not... It,
1: the reason why I, um, I, I'm saying we should get rid of the concept, concept itself, mm. what it would force researchers to do, so that we could still conduct research to understand mechanisms of, of treatment, but it would force researchers to really clearly explain what their control intervention does and doesn't have. All right, so a placebo controlled drug trial would be, uh, your whatever your drug is versus a sugar pill. Okay, so y- you explain what it is that you're giving to someone um, so the the you know a placebo controlled you know we, we um, you know there are some studies in um, in physiotherapy that have used detuned ultrasound or detuned electrophysical agents as a as a placebo. If you if you weren't allowed to say placebo anymore, right? What you would then say is we're going to control for the time with the therapist. And we're going to control for the relationship, right? And we're just going to do some things to control. But you force then the the, the the researcher to think about and explain very clearly what it is they're controlling for and what it is they're not controlling for, rather than just saying placebo. Say um, yeah. Then then in 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 the clinic we have all sorts of problems, right? Because um, you know it, there's there's ethical issue, ethical questions as to is it okay to deliver placebos to, to, to patients and, and this sort of thing. What this is about though is, if there's a placebo effect, okay, um, if it's a real thing, if people actually have some response, then that has to come from somewhere. It, it, it can't come from nothing in terms of the way that we understand the world and we understand people. So, so something has happened we call it a placebo because it's not what we think is happening so it might be via it might be a psychological thing which happens via expectations and that happens via some you know neurochemistry or whatever happens it might happen via a something to do with anxiety it might happen something a conditioning response whatever it is but all those things are real things that they're, they're not nothing you know and they're not a placebo they're not something magic what placebo is doing is is stopping us from specifying our theory. Okay, so so let's just go after the theories. If it's about expectations, let's study expectations. If it's about anxiety, let's study and measure that. If it's about conditioning, let's study and measure that. I think the whole placebo thing is just holding all this back, and we should get rid of it.
0: Unfortunately, yeah. Well, I like this. This <laughs> well, it's good to have this, this view because there is a. I think there is this very strong. Well, let's say general this is a bit of opposition i guess is that is that right uh yeah yeah so, so we, wrote a, we wrote a
1: paper about this um in 2013 in british journalist but uh, sports medic medicine um with chris williams and um mm. it's not been very popular well it's not for popular? it's not that people oppose it it's just people don't take any notice of it but it, it's <laughs> a, i guess it's just a view that um that, that i have
0: on the topic yeah, yeah, but it's good. I think it's we need yeah. this contraries and um, mm. to keep to keep the discussion alive. So, uh, on that note, last question: uh, with, with whom would you like to have a beer on on a good on a good discussion? So, if there will be someone you feel like, oh, that will be lovely to like purely uh, professional based. Off, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Might have a list no. though, but so yeah, who, <laughs> who yeah, who's going who's going to be invited for your um, private talk? Well, well I,
1: I think I'd like to have a beer with uh, probably with David Sackett. Unfortunately, mm. it's too late to have a beer with David Sackett. But um, yeah. yeah, look, I, I'm I, I, well. I mean, Gordon is still kicking around. I suppose I could have a beer with him. He was he was working with him. Um, you know, I think there's I, I think. Uh, you know they've they they sparked a real fundamental shift in in the way that, that healthcare works and and I think that's a a truly amazing thing. Uh, what I'm really interested in though is 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 what next? Because I think uh, the way I see evidence based practice is it's laser focused on research methods and over you know the 30 years or whatever we've got you know made improvements in in the way we understand research and we've tried to teach it and that's been variably successful and and so on but but the reality is it's the the idea of evidence-based medicine is it is it's this integration with clinical experience and patient values and i don't see the equivalent focus and understanding on those other things, and more importantly, a focus on how we bring them together. And, and, and I think that's, that's evidence-based practice 2.0. It, it, it's, it's, well, how do we understand bias as it results, as it relates to clinical experience? How do we weight different sorts of information? How do we make decisions, you know, other than we should just integrate it? How do we make these decisions to, in order to, to, to do what's uh, the right thing for, for patients? Um, and so that that's where my interest at the moment is. Um, I don't know where that goes, to be honest, and I don't know if I'm the right person to be taking it on. But um.
0: <laughs> Well, I think it's good to... Yeah, i love, I love to hear that that just that, that future belief or this is a visionary though mm. but uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's great to have you in the profession uh, and, Steve. Uh, and a bit of background so um, <laughs> we're going to wrap up from here um, um, let me thank you Stephen again uh, for this amazing 30 minutes um, you've learned us a lot and I think it's been very much appreciated that we um, are here with you now and um um we, we will follow up with uh, other podcast um uh, speakers and and homebrew listeners um for you um we probably will uh, connect again with steve at some point where he's happy to to well uh share a bit of his time his precious time and um it's much appreciated um thank you for being with me uh steve Thank you, Bart. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Yeah. We might see you back in Amsterdam at some point. Definitely will. You, you Definitely might will. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks Go again. On. See you next time. All right. Cheers, Bart.